Hey, um, as many of you know, I returned just a little over a week ago. I was here last Sunday after being gone for three months on a sabbatical. And I spent a whole lot of that time in a forested area, the north woods of Wisconsin. On the second to last Monday of July, I got up in the morning, dealt with a couple of things. Um, it was about 11 o'clock in the morning, and I got in my car, and I started taking a drive. I drove out of the woods, and I drove somewhat south and somewhat west, and I was making my way over towards the state of Minnesota to the borderline at that particular place, uh, the St. Croix River, not far from the Twin Cities, but I didn't make it all that way. I was just going to a little town in western Wisconsin. I had about 30 hours of available time. My schedule actually, in spite of the fact of being in the woods, my schedule had been pretty busy, and it was about to be pretty busy, but for Monday and Tuesday, most of the day, I had free. And I had been in contact with some friends, and I was traveling to see some people I hadn't seen in a long, long time. I first met both of them when they were dating. Connie was seven years older than I am. Fritz is six years older than I am. I was just uh, like 10, 11, 12 years old in my life when they were finishing up high school. I was a sophomore in high school when they got married. I remember going to their wedding. Um, Fritz was particularly an, an important person in my life, reaching out to me when he was a senior in college and I was a sophomore in high school, investing time, expressing interest in me. And I can't tell you what that meant to me as a 16-year-old, that there was somebody who was 22, who was a college student about to graduate, who cared about me enough to take me out for lunch at Tony Subs in Deerfield. It was great. And for the next uh, 10, 15 years, I got to see both of them with relative regularity. But the truth is, the last time I actually sat for any extended time, any extended conversation with Fritz and Connie was in November of 1993 in their home south of Denver. That's almost 25 years. And so I took the opportunity. I went and I visited in their community. I I drove into what looked like a suburban neighborhood to me, but the truth was actually it was small-town America. It was more agricultural country than anything else. It's a nice home they were in, just a couple of bedrooms, perfect for an empty nest couple. Walked out to the back deck, sat down, we talked for a little while. Before long, there was something cold to drink, there was something hot off the grill, and there was some produce from the ground. Maybe Wisconsin or Minnesota or Iowa produced even. And we were eating and we were talking. Monday night, we talked for six hours straight. And Tuesday morning, before I took off, We talked for another two. We covered a lot of territory. And you know what we found out? That the roots and the history and the common relationship with Jesus Christ make up and cover and just make it so easy to pick up amazingly where we were 25 years ago. Got to the end of that time, and uh, it was just about time for me to get back in the car. My 30 hours were drifting away, and I had four hours plus to drive. And right before I left, Fritz grabbed his Bible, and he said, hey, before you, before you leave, I'd like to share something with you, and I'd like to pray with you. I said, sure. And so he grabbed his Bible, and he read something to me. He said, I'd, I'd, I'd like to read Psalm 138 with you. I, I, I said, good. 
<laughs> and I want to read it, even though we've heard it so many times. I want you to look at it with me one more time. In your um, bulletin or in your, your folder, Messenger, uh, there should be an insert. And on one side of it are some notes, and the other side is the scripture, Psalm 138. And, and we've heard it multiple times, but I want you to read it with me again. Read it with me and follow along, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read for you. Psalm 138 reads like this. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord. For they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord. For great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Fritz got done reading that, and I kind of chuckled. I said, Fritz, you know what? Right now, I'm reading through the Psalms in my own scripture reading. And the other day, I read Psalm 136, 137, 138, and 139. And I could tell you all about Psalm 136, 137, and 139. But I couldn't tell you a moment ago anything about Psalm 138. Because I try to be disciplined in my scripture reading through the years and the decades. My guess is I've read Psalm 138 50 times in my life. But it never clicked. It never stuck. If you'd asked me two months ago, tell me something about Psalm 138. You know what I could have told you? It's between Psalm 137 and 139. And you could have done that too. But, but Fritz had me look at this. And then he just said, I, I want to... I want to bring two things to your attention here. I want you to look at verse 3, the second phrase in verse 3. It says, my strength of soul you increased. But you see on on, uh, your insert, there's a, a footnote there. And if you look down to B at the bottom footnotes, this is what the Hebrew says literally. You made me bold in my soul with strength. And Fritz said, Craig, that's what I'm praying for you from God. I'm praying that God will bless you inside and make you strong, make you bold in your soul at the very core of your being with strength. And then he said, I want you to look at one other phrase. It's from the last verse, the first line of the last verse. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. He said, Craig, um, those words have been really important for me because there are sometimes I wonder. There's sometimes I wonder where I'm going or what I'm doing. There's sometimes I wonder how things are working together. He shared about some struggles at work and some struggles uh, in his broader family. And he says, sometimes I wonder, but then I read the promise of God. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. And on the basis of God's word, Craig, as you head out into the summer and the rest of your sabbatical and then back to Grand Rapids in the fall, I want you to know that God has a plan and a purpose for your life 
and he will fulfill it. And I drove away that day grateful to have been introduced and shown Psalm 138 as I never had before because I simply had never looked at it before or paid attention. I want to reflect with you just briefly on it this morning. Um, the, the words are not strange, actually. We can find lots of evidence of it all around the scriptures. First Thessalonians chapter 5, there's three verses, 16, 17, 18. They're so brief. Believe it or not, three verses sounds like this. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Not bad for three verses, huh? Can you memorize three verses? Of course you could. Of course you could. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Giving thanks as a way of life is something that matters to God. And Psalm 138 starts just like this. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Worship and prayer, that relationship with God, means a lot more than giving thanks. That's not the only thing there is to worship. That's not the only thing there is to prayer. It's not the only thing there is to to walking with God. But thanksgiving is an essential component. It's at the very heart of our life with God. I, I bet that a lot of us know that. We actually believe that. It's like, yeah, that makes sense. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there's no, no shadow of turning. If God's the giver of good things, then I want to give him thanks. You know the, the, the banter back and forth? God is good? We got to work on this, don't we? God, I say God is good, you say all the time. Then, then I say all the time, you say God is good. So let's do it, okay? God is good. All the time. All All right, and and if that's really true, and if we can find that and recognize it somewhere, it's so significant that we actually look through our lives, that we reflect about our lives. Sometimes it's absolutely obvious in our lives that this is from God, and we give him thanks. We're just called to it. And it is how this prayer works in particular, begins. But so often in life, we we don't do that. Uh, Gordon Smith is a pastor, professor, a writer, a teacher, who I've been reading a little book he's just written called Teach Us to Pray. And in, in one chapter in that book, he writes this. Listen, in our prayers and in our worship, few things are so crucial as this, that the disposition of our hearts and the words of our mouths are marked by a deep and insistent gratitude. I say insistent because without intentionality and persistence on this point, we will find that complaint and disappointment will too easily be the defining markers of our lives. Uh, That was maybe too many words. Just a couple of sentences, but think about what, what Gordon is saying is it is important in our lives that we are marked by gratitude, that we are people who give thanks in fact, there needs to be a particular um, quality to our gratitude. He says it should be deep and insistent. And the reason why it needs to be insistent is because without, without being committed to giving thanks, without intentionality and persistence on this point, do you know what will come to characterize our lives more than gratitude and more than seeing where God is at work? What will mark us is complaint and disappointment. 
What's more likely to mark the lives of human beings? Gratitude or complaint and disappointment? Well, obviously, I have no way of answering that question. I I don't know how you could possibly measure that thing. And yet, I'm aware there's a lot of complaint and disappointment in the world. But we are invited to live a different way. Thanksgiving is key. Why does it matter that we give thanks? Because God is worthy of our thanks. Why does it matter that we give thanks? Because giving thanks is the right thing to do. Why does it matter that we give thanks? Because God actually commands us through his word. Be grateful. Give thanks. It's how we're called to live. Why does it matter that we give thanks? Because giving thanks belongs to who we are as Christians. It's what we do. It's the kind of people God is making us to be. We are the kind of people in this world who are grateful people, not least because you and I know somebody to be grateful to. You know what it's like to live in a secular world, even when things are good and even when things are going well? To live in a secular world, a secular life where things are going well, is actually to be blessed and have nobody to say thank you to. But we as believers and as Christians know that God is the one who blesses us. We have someone to thank. The pastor writer, again, Gordon Smith, remembers years ago when he was um, maybe in his early 20s, wandering around Europe and ending up in the mountains of Switzerland at a place called Labrie, where a couple, Francis and Edith Schaefer, were missionaries to post-World War II Europe and especially to the disaffected youth who wandered around the world, particularly in the 1960s and the 1970s. And Gordon ended up there, a beautiful place up in the mountains, hanging out with people from all over the world who believed all different things, but it ended up in this place of radical hospitality and welcome, where they were listened to and cared for, and they shared music and conversation, and the beauty that surrounded them, and Francis would teach them. And one night he happened to be teaching from the book of Romans, chapter 1. And Gordon remembers this. He leaned over the podium and urged us to feel the fire of Romans 1, 21, which speaks of the refusal to honor God, but very specifically the refusal to give thanks to God. Schaefer, with the full force of his personality, urged us to see this, that the essence of paganism is the refusal to give thanks. The Christian, he stressed, gives thanks thanks. This is what Paul writes in the first chapter of Romans. For although they, human beings, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. When we live in God's world, when we walk under the, the, the blessing of his son and his reign, and we don't know him, and we don't give thanks to him, our lives become darkened, our thinking becomes futile. We are cut off, and we are not who God created us to be, and we're not who God recreated us to be in Jesus. Who God made us to be are grateful people who give thanks. Yes to other people. If someone else is blessed, it blesses you, then thank them by all means. It makes such a difference, doesn't it? How many of you like to be thanked when, you, when, you've, when you've done something? Maybe you didn't even realize you did something to, to bless somebody. And someone thanks you. That, that's like double, triple blessing. To, to, I didn't even realize. And they, they're grateful. Wow. 
There's something awesome about being thanked, and so it is good for us to do it with each other. But there's absolutely, something absolutely central to our lives to be people who give thanks to God. Not to be pagans who refuse to give thanks or refuse to honor God, but to be Christians who thank Him. Because without thanksgiving and intentionality and persistence in being grateful, we may find that complaint and disappointment mark us more than anything else. So what does prayer and worship based on Psalm 138 look like? Well, look at the first two verses. So take a look at that that scripture. Um, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. Real simple. Look at the first couple lines. I give you thanks. I sing your praise. I bow down toward you. I give thanks to your name. I thank. I sing. I bow down. I thank. Those are four things that describe what it means to pray and what it means to worship. I thank, I sing, I bow down, and I thank. And then David expresses, we, I mean, this is attributed to David, we don't know for sure, but very possibly this is actually a prayer of, of King David himself. The very first, he, he gives us a really important qualifier. He says, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. With my whole heart. Do you know what? I, I think it's actually right there that most of us get into trouble if we're engaged in thanksgiving at all to God. But I'm worried that actually it's not just that we don't do it wholeheartedly. It is that maybe we don't do it very much. But David is inviting us to a different kind of prayer and a different kind of worship and a different kind of life. So that when we begin our day or when we finish our day or when we're walking through the midst of our day, I give thanks to you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I give thanks. I sing your praise. I bow down toward you. I give thanks. What's the bow down remind us of? It reminds us that... that, uh, kind of gratitude we really want to express to God is not just a mental thing. It entails some kind of involvement with our bodies. Okay? We are uh, uh, mostly a derivative community of Western European immigrants. Northern European immigrants. Do you know what that means? We are not the most demonstrative portion of the human race. Okay? It's not your fault. It's not my fault. It happened to us. Okay? When we come to worship, we generally don't... I mean, I I get to watch videos of people when they're singing who do this. And I've never once in my life been drawn towards doing that myself. In fact, that was the first time in front of you. How'd I do? (laughs) Now, having watched me, is anybody else ready to partake in their approach with their next song? Oh, we have one. Okay. All right. Hey... The point isn't exactly, I don't think, what you do with your body, but that your body is involved. Because there's something that happens in certain ways. When we stand, we honor. When we sit intentionally, we're reflective. When we end up on our knees, we're saying, oh God, I need your help. Or oh God, I'm so minimally worthy, I'm not worthy next to you. 
our bodies actually are engaged. The second was to sing. I sing your praise. And guess what we do on Sunday mornings? Some of you, it's a bit of a struggle, right? Enough music already. And some of you thrive and want more music. Not every, not every one of us is a singer naturally. Actually, some of us could tell you that you're not naturally a singer uh, if, if we're seated near you. Okay? And yet, do you know what? Singing is a Christian thing to do. It's a Christian thing to do. There are almost no other groups of people gathered this morning in America or the world who just come together to sing, except people who are intentionally musical, okay? Intensely musical. Musicians maybe get together to sing. Choir members, uh, choral group members, people who are entertainers, they get together to sing. But I'm talking about just... Except this is not a bad expression. Run to the mill human beings. Here we are, okay? We're just a mix. We're not drawn together because we're all musical, but because we're Christians. And Christian, it's a Christian thing to sing. It's a way of expressing thanks and celebrating something to God. But then David says, wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly. Let that linger in your spirit for just a few moments. Why do we do this? Why do we give thanks? Because of God. Because of this God, the Lord Yahweh. But what about him? So look at verse 3. Here's the reason. On the day I called, you answered me. That's the reason why David was praising God and giving thanks to him on that particular day. It wasn't just that he knew he was always supposed to. It wasn't just that God is inherently worthy of his, of, of his worship. It wasn't simply that it was his practice day by day to give thanks to God. And all those things are true. And maybe that was David's practice all the time. But in this moment, there was a specific reason God, I'm giving you thanks. God, I'm giving you praise. God, I'm singing to your glory. And this is why. Because on the day I called, you answered me. And I have a feeling behind that, there was this sense for David. I'd called to somebody else. I'd called to myself and nobody else answered. Nobody else understood. Nobody else got me. Nobody else was going to stand with me always. Nobody else had the wherewithal to be with me And hear my words and answer my life the way you did, God. I will not sing praise for the rest of my life to anybody else or to myself, but to you. Because on the day I called, you answered me. That's that's what got him going. Worship in our lives and prayer in our lives is rooted in and then propelled from two different things. It's rooted in this, that God has heard us in the past. We pray to God, and we thank him, and we freshly ask for his help. Why? Because God has heard us already. There's that phrase again, the beginning of verse 3, on the day I called, you answered me. God, you've been there before for me, and so I'm turning to you now. But it's more than that. He celebrates who God is. Look at verse 2. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. 
There's a lot of human beings in our lives, and sometimes we're these kind of people in other people's lives who are there in a moment, one-time shot, that's it. We shared something together. You were, you were good to me in that moment. You listened on that day. Thank you for that. But there's no faithfulness. There's no steadfastness. There's nothing that continues day after day, year after due, year, whether I'm worthy or not of the person's attention. But God, it's his very nature to have a love that is steadfast. Human love tends to be fickle. Love today, but not tomorrow. Love if I feel like it, but if I don't feel like it, that would be insincere. I'm not going to do that. But God's love is steadfast. It stays. God himself is faithful. He's a God of fidelity. When he makes a promise, he sticks with it. He fulfills it. And so our prayer and our thanksgiving to God are rooted in the past because he's heard us in the past. Our thanksgiving and our worship is propelled by God's promise for the future. By his promise for the future. So look at verses 7 and 8 with me. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. David's no longer looking at the past. He's looking at the present and he's starting to consider the future. And he's no longer thinking about how God has proved to be a steadfast, loving, faithful God in the past. But he's recognizing that right now, when not everything is smooth and not everything is easy, in the midst of troubles, in the midst of challenges, sometimes when it feels like we're surrounded by enemies, God is with me. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your right hand. Your right hand delivers me. And then the words that Fritz drove home to me, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. What propels me to pray to God and believe he cares and he'll listen? What propels me to give thanks in all circumstances, even when right now I'm not seeing the answer I want or I can't figure it all out? That the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. I'm far enough along in walking with Jesus this life, and most of you might be too, where you know God fulfilling his purpose for our lives and God hearing our calls and answering doesn't equal God giving me everything I want. I don't think I've ever prayed this prayer before to the Lord, but implicitly, this is the prayer of my heart so often, and maybe it's yours. God, my prayer is real simple. Will you make everything smooth and just work? Please, I don't want any speed bumps. I don't even want a speed bump. But for sure, no barriers. I want no construction signs on the road that I'm traveling on. I don't want any accidents. I don't want any unexpecteds, except if they're fun. Lord, it's so little what I'm asking for. I'm just asking for it all to be smooth. And he's, he, he's so unimpressed by my prayer. <laughs> he so doesn't think that's what's necessary. Because he so knows that I wouldn't have to depend on his promise if that's the way it always was. 
God calls us to this life of giving thanks for his answer and giving thanks for the fulfillment of the purpose we haven't even seen yet. You know what's cool about this passage? I want you to look, actually in the notes for a moment, that worship and prayer, when we live it out, is actually a witness to the world around us. It's a witness to the gods. And if you notice that in verse 1, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing you your praise. It's a witness to the powerful. Verse 4, all the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord. And how in the world will they have heard the words of God's mouth or, or heard about the ways of the Lord unless God's people are giving witness to that same God? It's a, a, a worship and prayer is a witness to our enemies. Verse 7, I walk in the midst of trouble. You preserve me. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies. You deliver me. We're surrounded by so many things and so many realities, but our thanksgiving is a witness to the false gods that surround us that people give themselves to all the time. Not just the gods of other religions. Those are not the most popular gods in America. The most popular gods in America are are wealth and consumerism, technology, nationalism, um, this cause or that cause, self-help, I can do it on my own. Those are the most popular gods. But in the midst of all of those, when we give thanks to God, we, we say, God, you are the source of all good gifts above anything else. But I want you to think this morning as we close about this. That our giving thanks to God, not just silently in in an inward way, but also outwardly and to other people, maybe by, by singing in front of them, but maybe more likely by sharing a story with them. On this day I called and, and the Lord answered me. And I saw his presence and I've seen his work in my life. You don't know what my last year has been like. You don't know what I've been walking through and you don't know the fresh ways that God has shown up in my life. And telling that story to someone. When we do that, we bear witness to each other. And we need it. As I look out this morning, I can identify a whole host. I can identify almost all faces here. But I can identify a whole host of faces and attach to those faces very particular challenges and struggles that exist in your life right now. And you are tempted to give up and you're tempted to wonder if God is actually going to fulfill his purpose for you. And you know what's essential? Hearing the thanksgiving of others because that will reinforce your own trust in God. And the truth is, when we give thanks, it strengthens us as well. I want to uh, close and pray with you and invite our, our band to step up as we come to the end of the service. But I, I just want you to listen to these words from Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his little book, Life Together. Thankfulness works in the Christian community as it usually does in the Christian life. Only those who give thanks for little things receive the great things as well. We prevent God from giving us the great spiritual gifts prepared for us because 
we do not give thanks for daily gifts. We think that we should not be satisfied with the small measure of spiritual knowledge or experience or love that has been given to us and that we must be constantly seeking great gifts. And then we complain that we lack the deep certainty and the strong faith and the rich experiences that God has given to other Christians. And we consider these complaints to be pious. We pray for the big things, forgetting to give thanks for the small gifts that we receive daily. How can God entrust great things to those who will not gratefully receive the little things from God's hand? Today, I invite you to take stock of the ways that God has answered your call. And if he hasn't answered your call recently, maybe you haven't called. Talk to God, and he will answer. Amen.